Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to be back with you. Sorry I wasn't here last week. I got some time away, vacation time. We went to uh, the COVID state. We went to Florida. And um, I don't think we got COVID there. But, uh, man, this is not going to work. Okay. Let's see if that works. Uh, anyway, it's good to be back. Hey, uh, t- this morning we're going to start a brand new series. We were planning on starting, but that snowstorm hit us uh, a couple weeks ago. But uh, we're going to start a series called God at Work. Uh, and I'll unpack that in just a moment. But for those of you that are a- type A personalities, this is a little different from us. Uh, this is going to be uh, six or seven weeks where we talk about this. But uh, from there, that if you want to know where we're going from there, in the summertime we'll do a Summer in the Psalms series. Uh, this is just a way a lot of people travel, come and go, and, and so you can jump in at any moment and, and not feel like you're missing out. But then in the fall, uh, we'll be doing a, a series for the next nine months after that. So the following school year through the book of Romans. Uh, Romans has always been my favorite book of the Bible uh, and also the most intimidating book for me to preach. And so I'm going to take the summer and do a study uh, time and and hopefully uh, just be able to unpack that over the next 26, 27 weeks from Romans. Okay. So if you have your Bible today, you can begin to work your way or uh, turn on your smartphone to uh, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter one should be the very first book of your Bible. Uh, If it's not, come see me afterwards and we'll we'll chat about that. But uh, Genesis Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Uh, And and as we talk about God at work, I was thinking everyone remembers their first job. And and I'm not talking about just like the chores you you were given or mowing lawn, although that is work and and we're going to validate all that. But where you had a boss and you you did some work and you got paid and you got your first paycheck, um, everyone remembers that, right? Okay. Uh, Anyone have like a super interesting first job you're, you're willing to share with us, like you milked cows or... You were a tour guide for the, the Aztec ruins. Anything? No one had an interesting first job. You're just afraid to share. See, there you go. She's milking cows. There you go. Molly, what was your first job? Oh, ended up becoming a crematorium. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Like... You know what? We do well, burn things. Let's just... <laughs> Speaking of burning things, uh, w- when I was a kid, so I was a latchkey kid, so that means my mom went off to work, and, and, and summer was the awesome, because like, I did nothing. And uh, when I was like 12, I turned 13 in the summer, uh, my mom was like, hey, you need to go get a job. And so back then, there was no internet. You just went up to stores, and you're like, hey, can I work here? And they're like, no. And so... Uh, I, I rode my bike to the, the local strip mall and I saw uh, the, this tent being set up. Now, you need to understand, uh, when I was a little kid, my favorite holiday of, by far was 4th of July. I like to blow things up. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a miracle that I have all my digits here, that I didn't burn down a house, that I'm not in jail right now, because honestly, it should be uh, on several occasions. So I, if I could just get fireworks, that was, my, that was my summer, right? And I would take them apart and build bigger bombs and all that stuff, all, all the terrible things that you read about. Uh, but uh, so I, they're, they're setting up a tent, and I'm like, okay, my mom says I have to get a job. And so I, I talked to the, 
the guy, I'm like, hey, can I work here? And he's like, well, you, you can work here. We can't pay you, but we'll give you fireworks. And I'm thinking, that's awesome. That's what I would spend the money on anyway. Uh, so I'll, I'll just, I'll go with that. And so show up the next day and uh, now I'm working. And so I'm setting up the fireworks and uh, a few days go by and, and I start to get bored. Cause like after everything's set up, you're just like trying to upsell the fountains and all this stuff. And I'm getting more and more bored and I'm uh, I think I'm actually stealing some stuff at this point because I just need to blow stuff up. And uh, it, I mean, it got so bad to after like a week or two uh, and before the 4th of July, the big time, uh, the, the owner, the boss, uh, you know, it's so bad where it's like, you know, I don't pay you, but I'm going to have to let you go. <laughs> you know, like this isn't, this isn't working out right here. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I uh, didn't get as many fireworks as I was hoping. And my mom was like, you still need to get your job. And, and so uh, find a local restaurant. And they're like, you can be a bus boy and and so you can clean off all the plates and set and clean all the you know what a bus boy does and so did that for a while and um, eventually that blew up I mean and, and I, I came to this dawning realization that you know work isn't really for me I was kind of work averse not just in those areas but like really everywhere like why work and the worst the worst kind of work for me was homework that sounds like the dumbest thing. You're going to send me off to school all day long, and then I'm going to come home and, and get my work in before I go to work? Like, no. And so I just didn't do homework. Like, that was not my jam. D's got degrees back then, and I was like, yes, that's what I'm going for. And so I, I was just like, what do I need to get a 60%, a 60% in this class and this class? And, and so that's what I did. And, and to the alarm of my mother, who was quite successful, she, she just would pull out her hair like, what do, what do I do to get this kid to get motivated? And, and so one time I remember she took me to McDonald's and we're eating and she's like, actually, I brought you here for a reason, Mark. I'm like, yeah, what is it? And she's like, you see, see these workers? That's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I was like, ah, no big deal. What's the big deal? <laughs> like that didn't work for me either. And so I, I just, I, I just did so terrible that, that uh, I eventually ended up graduating and you can't actually graduate with what I had today. Like they've changed the standards and, and actually I did quite well in my senior year. So I, I raised it up to a 1.88 GPA. And, and I was like, well, this, this is good. But um, at that same time, my, my senior year, end of my senior year after that, the Lord was beginning to woo me to himself. And, and uh, uh, over a six-month period, I, I became a Christian. And, and the next job that I had, I was working at Pizza Hut. And Pizza Hut, it's an amazing job uh, because uh, I was delivering pizzas and you get to be in your car. And, and I discovered uh, a Christian radio. And, and not, this was before Caleb, not, not just cheesy songs. Uh, it was, it was uh, the, the lineup was Chuck Swindoll. He would preach. And then I'd listen to Family Life Today. And then I'd listen to Adventures in Autumn. Then I listened to R.C. Sproul, and, and all night, every night for the next two years, as a new, brand new believer, I would I would get these these messages in me, and I would uh, deliver the pizza, come back, and I'd go into the back room, and I would just tell everybody what I was learning. And guess what? They listened. And they asked questions. The other drivers were like, okay. And so I would just talk to people about Jesus all the time. And there was another guy there that had graduated from seminary. And he was working in a small church and trying to make ends meet. And, and he would talk to me. And, and I remember one night, back in the back, in between runs, we were folding boxes for the pizzas. And we were talking about the Lord. And uh, I just remember him saying, hey, Mark, have you ever thought 
about being a pastor? And I was like, what? No, I never thought about doing anything. Like, this is the pinnacle for me. Like, what? No, I'm, I'm the pizza delivery driver. That's what I do. It's my jam. He's like, no, you should think about it. And, and something in me in that moment clicked. Something that, that my mom was trying to do and everyone in my life was trying to do was to make me live for something bigger. But, but in that moment, God began to transform what I thought about life and work. And, and it wasn't overnight, but, but, but eventually I was like, yeah, I think I, I might want to do that. So I better, I better do well in school. Like I was going to Arapahoe Community College because you know, I grew up in Littleton. Even though I barely graduated, you still go to college. So I was going to Arapahoe Community College and uh, my grades started to turn around and, and I was like, I, I need to get to seminary. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to do, do, pretty, do better. And so uh, I tell people, I, I raised, my, uh, raised my GPA a couple points from 1.88 to 3.88 in, in college and seminary. And um, sometimes when I tell this story, parents have two reactions. One, if, if they got a demotivated kid, they, they come up to me and they're angry. They're like, Mark, you're telling my kid he doesn't have to do anything in high school and he can be successful. And others are like, Mark, you just comfort me because my kid doesn't do anything. And if he could just turn out good, that'd be great. And so uh, I take it for what it is. But, but something happened in that moment like that, that I was called to live for something outside myself, bigger than myself. And not just because it was being a pastor. I'm actually going to push against that idea in terms of meaning. But just finding that, that work matters. And our work matters. And... and, and um, if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we've talked often here at Redemption Parker that he is king. And as king, he is not only the savior of the world, but he's lord of the world. And so to be a follower of Jesus is to learn to follow in his steps and increasingly come under his kind rule and his reign and, and submit our lives to his leadership. And that means every area of our life, every area of our life. And the fact of the matter is, all of us, though in different stages and seasons of life, all of us spend a huge, huge percentage of our lives at work. Now, that could be different. That could be work where you go off somewhere. You maybe travel for work. Maybe it's work in the home where you're, you're feeding and developing and raising and providing for and, and protecting and, and discipling and teaching your children. Uh, it could be at different seasons. But we all spend a huge, huge, huge part of our lives at work. Think about that. If you, if you worked uh, 40 hours a week for 50 hours, uh, 50 weeks a year for, you know, 40 years, you're going to spend over 80,000 hours of your life on this planet at work. And, and if we somehow uh, dissect that and, and, and say that doesn't matter to God, the only thing that matters to God is when I'm in Bible study or coming to church, then, then we're missing a massive part of what the Lord wants to do in and through our lives. Work matters. We, we, we spend so much time at work. And, and because Jesus is Lord, as followers of Jesus, it should matter how we think about, how we engage, and how we actually work. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about when he became a Christian, he said, coming to Jesus didn't change so much of what he did, but how and why he did what he did. And one of the things I want in this series over the next six or seven weeks is no matter what the Lord has called you to, he's called you to it. It is a, it is a vocation. It is a calling and it matters to God and it matters to people and matters to this world, no matter what it is. I want to raise our view of work. 
So we need some transformation in our thinking about work because we've adopted uh, in and of ourselves or like I talked about when I was in high school, we've, we've adopted some, some ideas about work that, that, God, that do not honor God and, and aren't intended for us to embrace. And so we might think work is only a result of the fall. There's sin and now we have to work, but, but a day is coming where we'll get to go to retirement if we do it right and, and we get to go to heaven and there'll be no more work. And that's, that's not what... what God has for us. Uh, We might uh, be tempted to, uh, because of just the the craving in our heart, the idolatry in our heart, to over-identify with our work. And we do this all the time. What do you do? And the question is, how do I identify you? What what value do you have? So so we're tempted to pour all of our energy and effort, maybe become workaholics, or we can under-identify with our work. We were like, oh, that's just work. That's a necessary evil. Uh, I, I, I put in my time to get to the weekend, to get to the vacation a couple weeks a year, to get to retirement. But, but my work doesn't define who I am at all. So we can over or under identify with work. We, we can kind of see the work uh, of our work and others and rank ourselves. Well, at least I'm not a laborer, we might say. At least I'm not a, one of those migrant workers. At least I don't work at McDonald's, as my mom was trying to convince me. Or we can be like, I'm just here. My work doesn't really matter. I sell widgets. I, you know, I write program. But, but the real honorable jobs, you know, they're, they're the frontline workers. They're, uh, you know, whatever it is, the culture is elevating at that moment. We're like, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. And, and it's this wrong kind of distinction and value of people by what they do. We can, uh, we can come to our work and, and this is, maybe more of a millennial thing, and say, my work is the primary place where I'm going to seek fulfillment. And if at any moment I don't feel fulfilled, something must be wrong with the work, therefore I need to go find different work. And don't get me wrong, the Bible is going to show us that you should feel some fulfillment from your work. It just isn't primary to who you are and where you get your fulfillment. So we're going to spend some weeks. I've, I've taught on this uh, in different ways, several times, just on one-offs here. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to taking the next six or seven weeks and just kind of soaking in all that God has for us for work. You know, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world or the thinking of this world, but as followers of Jesus, be transformed by the renewing of your mind And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So we want to thank God's thoughts about our job. We want to thank what God thinks about us going in tomorrow morning or waking up and and raising children. Wherever God has you, we want to see it as God sees it and not as the world sees it or our flesh sees it or or any of those things. And so that's the kind of aim of the series, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so let's start from the very beginning. Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1. I'm, I'm actually going to kind of, uh, I, I would encourage you to read the first three chapters on your own this week, just kind of soak in this. I, I won't cover all of it because it is a large text, but uh, I'll, I'll read through it. You can follow along. We'd ask you to listen carefully. This is God's word. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. Now, I'll just pause real quick there. I want you to notice all the verbs associated with God in the first two chapters of the book of the book of, of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering 
over the face of the waters. You sense this anticipation. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We'll drop down to verse 26, chapter 1. So we just skipped over all the things that he creates in the second, third, fourth, fifth day. And then verse 26. Then God said, let us... Make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And in chapter 2, he kind of zooms in on the same story and gives us more details of creation. Verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day of the Lord, God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the Lord God had, had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man... And put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to embrace all that you have for us here. Lord, you, uh, by your word and through your spirit, desire to speak to each of us. And so I pray that you do that now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were in one of our gospel communities and you were reading this passage, you would have a question that you would first ask together. You'd have a few questions, and I think it's a helpful question. First thing you'd ask after reading that is, what does this passage teach us about God? And the answer would be easy. First, it would, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 
God exists, that there is a God, and that he works. The very first, God, work is so important in God's mind, in God's view, that in his word, and the very first thing that we have recorded about God is that God is a worker. That, that, that was so important. And in fact, not only just in verse 1, but over the next two chapters, the word work or formed or created is going to be used 19 times associated with God. We see God doing a lot of work. You say, well, you know, his work's different. He just speaks and it, it happens. But that's not all he does. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, did you notice in the verses 2 and 3, three times it says, and he did his work, his work. The word there is ordinary human labor. It's the same word that he's going to have Adam do. It's the same word for giving birth, labor. God does the ordinary things of work. In fact, we see God getting his hands dirty, so to speak, forming out of the ground. Adam and, and then eventually Eve that we didn't get to. But, but God is a God who exists and God who works, a God who creates. And did you notice how he creates? Very purposeful, very uh, uh, organized, very orderly in a way. And this is important because when you study the uh, contrasting creation ac- accounts from different areas of the world and culture, there's basically one story that gets told in different ways and then there's this story. So, so there's an African uh, account of creation where the God, uh, God get, this, this God gets sick and he vomits and his vomit is the world. So here you are. <laughs> the, the, there's, a, there's a Chinese account where Pengu uh, comes out of this primordial egg and uh, lives his life. But when he dies, his body becomes the world. So his, his eyes and, uh, become the sun and the moon and his beard becomes the forest and his blood becomes the ocean. And here you are. There, there's the Mesopotamian account where uh, the god Marduk gets in a battle with the goddess Tiamat and they fight and he wins and discards her body all over the place and her body becomes the creation. There's the Norse account where there's a battle between uh, the gods and the giants and, and uh, Odin battles the great chief giant and uh, in, in destroying the giant, his body gets scattered and that becomes the world. So, do you see a pattern here? It's chaos, it's violence, it's power, and here you are. And it's actually not that different from the modern creation account of the secular materialist atheist, Right? You're here by time and chance and, and violence with the bang and, and uh, the molecules coming in together and smashing and, and eventually you're here. That's why you're here. No order, no purpose. Uh, the great uh, prophet of secular atheism, Bertrand Russell, put it this way. I'll put it on the screen because it's a kind of a long quote. He said this. He says that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of an accidental collocation of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an, in, an, individ, uh, an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievements must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins, all these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain 
that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. <coughs> only with the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Man, you're not inviting this guy to a party. <laughs> but do but you see what he's saying? Put up the last line one more time. It says, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Do you see the contradiction in his own statement? There is no meaning to the universe. So as soon as you embrace that truth, then your life can have meaning. Like, it doesn't make sense. He's like, just, just embrace that there's, there's no, that the, the universe is here by power and violence and, and, and live like that. And when you come to creation, the reason we're here, and view it through a lens of power and violence, then work just becomes a, a, a means to uh, advance yourself, get what you want, get yours, and if you have to use power and violence to advance, then so be it. That's the way of the world. But that's not the way, and, and that wasn't the way of the Jews. They didn't believe that God had any rivals. There was no battle. You can take that down again. There was no battle to be had. That's not the story. In fact, the story is that there is a God. In fact, we even get echoes in it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It certainly gets unpacked in the rest of the Bible. But, but this God is eternally existent in the triune nature of the Trinity. And that has implications for why he creates. So Jonathan Edwards wrote a book, The Ends for Which God Created the World. And in it, he, he built on Augustine's thinking of why would God, who is eternally self-existent, why would he create the world? And he asked the question, was there some sort of need in God? No. God was totally self-sufficient. Well, well maybe God needed to create the world so, he could, so, so there could be love in the world and, and people could love him. Well, he is triune. And from eternity past, in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are uh, others-centered. They are uh, love. There's perfect love. There's perfect relationship. There wasn't a need, a relational or love need in God. Why did God create the world? And Edwards concludes, God created the world because it's in the very nature of God to be others-focused. And so, we, we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where, where it says the Spirit is hovering over. Uh, God created the world out of joy, simply because it brought him joy. God worked from a place of joy. And so, uh, when we understand the first premise that, that there is a God and that he works, and he works out of a place of love and relationship and joy because he is others-focused and he wants to give that uh, to the universe, he does a creation and his creation is a work of order and purpose and work and, and love and joy. And so then we ask the next question in our gospel communities, well, what does this passage tell us about ourselves? And we, we saw it. It says that God is a worker, but we are made in God's image. We are image bearers. It's the doctrine of the Imago Dei. And, and there are 10 million implications of the Imago Dei. And this is why this is the most preached on passage here at Redemption Parker, because there's just a lot you can imply and, and live out of that. But, but for our purposes today, look at the immediate context of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our own image 
after our likeness and let them have dominion. The first thing we learn is God exists and God works. And then he says, I'm going to make image bearers, viceroys that represent me in this universe. And it's not so much about a physical image, but it's a, it's a kind of positional representation in the world. Some are going to image me. And how are they going to do it? They're going to work. They're going to have dominion. Work is not a result of the fall. It's part of the blessing we'll see of creation. They're, they're going to have dominion and they're going to represent God and, and be good stewards and, and, and put forth his love, his wisdom, his knowledge, his mercy in the universe. And, and they're going to reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it says, verse 28, and God blessed them. How? God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish. So, so God creates his image bearers, these, these people that are supposed to be a unique place in creation to point everything and everyone to God. He creates them in his image. He blesses them. How does he bless them? He blesses them by giving them their first command. And that's another thing we need to wrap our mind around, that God's commands are for our blessing. When we embrace the creator who made us and knows us best, and we say, hey, your command, even, though, even if I don't fully understand it, is a blessing to me, we, under, we get that. And he says, here's the command. Be fruitful. Have lots of babies. Like, Adam's like, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. Multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. have dominion. What's so interesting about God creating the universe, he creates it, he loves it six times. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good. But he he fills it with potential. It's not as good as it could be or will be or should be. Did you notice that? The goodness of creation is packed into creation, but now we as his image bearers are, are given this mandate, this command to work it out to make it better. That's crazy to me. That's called culture. So, so when we, when we uh, harvest vegetables and we put certain things together and we learn about spices and, and sugars and how those come together and we make a meal, that's culture making. Now creation is better. When we uh, develop roads and, and, and systems, that now, now it's better. When we, when we care for uh, the, the, the plants and the animals and, and creation, it's better. When we, when, when we work... And we bring out of creation and make the world better. We are not just being godly. We're being godlike. We're bearing his image. It says, have dominion over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It says, and God, be, God said, behold, I have given you everything. And then down in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. What I want you to see here is the design and dignity of work is found in the very nature of our creator God and in the way that he made us. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it 
Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. So all work, as long as it's uh, not illegal or immoral, all work finds its design and dignity in the character and nature and command of God. That means all work matters. Your work matters. Say, so, well, I just, I just sell stuff. That matters. I, I, I just change a lot of diapers. That matters. I, I, I just deliver pizzas. God delights in that. Your work, whatever God's called you to, is part of what he's created you for. But, but notice, our work is essential to us, but it's not the core of who we are. The core of who we are is image bearers. And God says, you have value because you bear my image. And out of that image bearing, you work. It's essential, but not core. So that guards our hearts and our lives from this temptation. There's two temptations. I mentioned it already. To over-identify or under-identify with our work. Over-identifying is trying to find in your work all of your value and worth. And trying to tell the world, look, I'm valuable because I did this. I'm valuable because I'm in this kind of upper echelon of society. I'm valuable because I sacrifice and I serve in this way. Like, and, and we can become workaholics. We can, we can say, man, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can just to prove to the world and to, because my heart is disordered, uh, just to get uh, validation and appreciation from people that so, so other people will say, you are valuable. But God says, you're already valuable. It doesn't matter what, y- y- your work doesn't determine your value, but it also, th- this whole passage guards us from another temptation, under identifying with our work. And I just go off to the stupid job 40 hours a week so that I can really enjoy God and God's people on Sunday morning and um, go on vacation. No. There, there is something in your work that, that you should identify with. And, and all of us at different times have experienced the blessing of this, right? Like you close that deal or you build that deck or you, you, you paint that house and you step back and you're like, I see a little bit of me in that. That feels good. God wants you to feel that. God wants you to, to have pleasure in your work. Now, we're going to talk about in the coming weeks the fall. There is curse. There is toil in work, but, but it's not totally marred. Your work matters to God. So we should not under-identify with our work because our work matters. Delivering pizzas matters. Closing the sale matters. Painting the house matters. Cooking dinner matters. Writing the paper at school matters. Designing the house matters. Harvesting the vegetables matters. Studying for the sermon matters. Serving the coffee matters, driving the truck, changing the diaper, filling the cavity, writing the software, leading the troops. All of it matters to God and should matter to us because we are his image bearers and we are working out of creation, a better creation. That's what we're called to. So how should we respond? I'll just put kind of three things in light of this passage. How should we respond? And the first one is just simply to remember Remember that the design and dignity of work is found in the nature and work of our creator. So don't think too little of what God has called you to. God has called you to it, and he says, this is good. This is very good. You can do this unto me. So let's remember that this week. Let's kind of rehearse that truth. When you go into work, and, and, and it doesn't mean you can't ever change jobs. It doesn't mean you can't go get an education to get a different job. But, but for whatever you do tomorrow morning is where God has you. And so remember, there's dignity in that. There's worth in that. 
Second, I think we need to repent, <clears throat> repent of ways that we have over-identified or under-identified with our work. How do you view the thing that God has called you to? How do, how do you view the thing that you spend the most time doing? And, and just between you and the Lord, just say, hey, I, I've, I've, I've kind of gotten out of balance in this way or that. And God says, that's all right. You can go back. That's why you're here. That's why you're reading my word. That's why you're understanding God at work. And then finally, I think let us be a people that respect the Imago Dei in ourselves and others. We should not view workers, particularly in our culture, service workers, workers that get our food out of the field to us, uh, people that serve us, the busboy that comes around. We should not view ourselves as above them. But let us be a people that see them. If you're in your kid's school this, this week for an activity and you see the janitor coming and, and go, why don't you be a, the kind of person that goes up and says, says, hey, thank you for what you do. Thank you, thank you for helping provide uh, the atmosphere for my kid to learn and, and to say, just appreciate you. Like, let's see people. Let's see them as valuable image bearers. And then let us also do that. I mean, I think a lot of us need to do that with ourselves. We think too little of what God has called us to in this station of life. And so let's value the image of God. See, what's crazy about this is if you, if you think about it, if, if, how would God enter into the world in the different worldviews? Philip Jensen put it this way. If God came into the world... What would he be like? The ancient, for the ancient Greeks, he might be, have been a philosopher king. The ancient Romans might have looked at, for a just and noble statesman. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world? A carpenter. It's a carpenter. Sometimes we're like, well, what did Jesus do for the first 30 years? He worked. I mean, if that doesn't give value to your work, I don't know what it does. He's like, you know what? The majority of my life as Savior of the world, I'm going to spend building tables. God said, that's good. I like that. That delights me. God works. Tim Keller put it this way. In Genesis, God is a gardener. In the New Testament, we see Jesus as a carpenter. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. No task. So let us do our work as unto the Lord. Next week, we're going to celebrate that God is not only a God who worked once, but he continues to sustain his creation, guide his creation. That's called providence. But he continues to do work. He did work on the cross, and we'll see that. He did work in the empty tomb. He continues to do work in our hearts. He's making new creations all the time. And God invites us to be a part of that. So to that end, let me... Pray for us and send us out as image bearers, workers for his glory, for the joy of all people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, I do pray that, we would, that, that people would maybe that have thought too little of their work, that they would be encouraged this morning. Pray for those of us that have thought too much of who we are in our work, that we would be reminded that our value comes from you and us reflecting your image in the world. Lord, let us be a people that honors you and honors the Imago Dei in all people and all work. And let us be a blessing to this city as a result. 
We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.